0: The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from Acts chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. God, we thank you for your word. If you have Waze, the Waze app, the voice can sound different, but the message is always the same. When you're using Waze, whether it's coming from a male or a female voice, or I think you can have Beyonce program, I think you can even have Elmo program to tell you where you are. When you get to that point, you'll hear these words. You have reached your destination. Familiar words for all of us who use GPS systems to get around. But we all know GPS is not always the most accurate in leading us, right? If you've ever been in Florida, you can see this most vividly and obvious as tourists are putting on their signals to turn right when there's no right turn that exists. But what happens when the way that the GPS leads you is actually to your own end or to your own death? Alan Willett tells the funny story of just such a leading. He and his daughter were on a campus visit in, uh, in Maine, to visit a college she was looking at, when they punched in the address for the car rental return company. And as they turned the last corner, what they saw in front of them was a cemetery. And they heard the phone declare, which I sure was in a, which I'm sure was in a more ominous sounding tone, "You have reached your destination." <laughs> Who knew? Who knew that a GPS could lead someone to an understanding of the honest reality of our human condition? Everyone's GPS has these coordinates plugged into them, whether we like it or not. No one gets out of here alive. You will reach your destination. Sure, we can add some distracting stops along the way, but those stops will only delay and distract us from the reality that our GPS ends with each one of us in the ground as dust. Unless, maybe, we're led by something or rather someone else. The question is, who? Maybe what we do when we're faced with that reality of our own mortality and our death is we just turn off the GPS and instead, just trust our own gut, our own leading. We'll use our own logic, our own reason, our own intellect, our own science, our own stats to bring us to some kind of alternative conclusion, some kind of forever reality here. And then we're awakened in the middle of the night with a phone call that says that one of our loved ones has just reached their destination. Our reasoning cannot fight the statistics that said 10 out of 10 dentists who recommend Trident will still die. We don't know when we'll die. We don't know how we'll die. Some of us don't even understand why we die unless we're led by someone, unless someone guides us to understanding, but that someone to lead us, to guide us, is not only the navigator, he's also the resuscitator, the one who brings us back to life. Who is he? The spirit of the living God. Only the spirit of the living God can raise the dead. So we must depend on him to lead us to life. Only the spirit of the living God can raise the dead. So we must depend on him To lead us to life. Today we celebrate Easter Sunday. A day in which the coordinates which say you have reached your destination have been reversed. A dead man is alive again. How is that possible? The spirit of the living God has made it so. The power of God has changed course on human history. No more will death have the final word over humanity. Jesus will. This Jesus who has been raised to life. How? How is this possible? By the Spirit of God. So what does our dependence upon this power, this Spirit, this giver of life to the dead, what does dependence upon Him look like in our life? Acts chapter 8 asks that question. What does dependence upon the Spirit of God leading us to life look like? And it's highlighted in two main figures on display in this passage. First, Philip the Evangelist. And second, this unnamed Ethiopian eunuch. What does the Spirit do in each of these men's lives to lead them back to life? And how does the Spirit of the living God who resuscitated and who resurrected Jesus from the dead continue to lead us today? Well, first thing we see in this passage is that the Spirit leads us on a tour of our dead ends. The Spirit leads us on a tour of our dead ends. Look with me at verse 26. An angel of the Lord says to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Where we are in the story in Acts, Philip is enjoying like great ministry success. Philip's arrived, really. I mean, he's in Samaria, and his preaching ministry has risen him above his previous deacon serving tables role to now being instrumental in saving Samaritans' souls. That's where Philip is right now. And now, one of God's messengers, an angel, asks that he leaves this fruitful place for where? For sand. But verse 27 says, he rose and went. There's no Moses like, are you sure you meant me? This is going really well here. Or there's no Jonah like, you know what, there's nothing in the desert for me there. No, he rises and goes, Philip goes. Why is this? Part of the reason this is, is that Philip loves Jesus, and he knows where Jesus has taken him from. He has been raised up to life with Jesus. He has experienced, Philip has, the ultimate dead end, the grave. Philip's been given the tour of his dead end of religion or self-righteousness, and he knows there's no water here, just drought, Even a dead end of making a name for himself in Samaria. Philip knows that's not going to quench my thirst. And since Philip knows that's where God found him, in the desert of dead ends. He trusts that the desert is where everyone else who's dead ended is found. He's going to go out to the desert to bring water to deserted people. And so Philip rises and goes. And while he's packing up his gear in Samaria to go, so too is another man, if you dare call that guy a true man. There's this guy leaving Jerusalem, a eunuch. And this man is being shown another dead end by the Spirit. This man, this eunuch, he's coming back from, we'll say it's like a worship conference in Jerusalem. He went to worship, verse 27 tells us, and he's possibly experiencing a letdown as he's coming back from Jerusalem. Because this man, this eunuch, has arrived in terms of success. I mean, he's a secretary of the treasury of the most powerful queen in Africa, Candace. And her name is a name synonymous to her male predecessor, Pharaoh. That's how powerful this woman is. And that's who he's working for. But working for a woman like that, a woman that powerful, has a cost to it. Because the queens of the day have the men who work for them fixed, castrated. They're powerful. They're so powerful. They want to avoid any man having any claim to her throne and her power by trying to build up an army or a royal family. No, make him a eunuch. And you wonder, you wonder if he's experiencing some regret in his dead-ended role as a eunuch. It's got to be. He's got no family ahead of him. Got no future ahead of him. And he goes to Jerusalem to find God, the God of his ancestors. He's probably got Jewish blood. And because he's a eunuch, he can't go inside. He has to stand on the outside looking in, according to Old Testament law. He's just dead-ended. He's paid a pretty price to have this written scroll of the prophet Isaiah, verse 28 tells us, in his hands, that must have cost him a fortune to have a written scroll. Not like the Bibles that are on the table that you can just grab at a moment's notice. No, this was costly. And he's buying this to find answers and solutions to his dead end that he's on. He's hoping there will be words of hope given to him. But without the Spirit's leading, the whole thing... Reading this scroll is literally and figuratively Greek to him. Even his attempt to get right right by opening these scrolls without the Spirit's help is a dead end. It's got to feel somewhat hopeless. It's got to feel somewhat scary. It's got to feel somewhat confusing to be at this dead end, holding Scripture in his hand and going, "I, I don't get it. When I was in my 20s, I reached a dead end a literal dead end. A friend and I took a trip to Arizona. We went to hike the Grand Canyon. And before we left uh, our trip in the Grand Canyon, several people told us, you know what, you've got to see Havasu Falls. They are beautiful. It is so gorgeous. Havasu Falls, as you've got to see, it's not far from the canyon, they said. It's absolutely gorgeous. And we got directions from someone, sort of. It was a local who thought we knew the place better than we did. And he said, yeah, you're just going to head south on there. It's about 20 miles. There'll be a little sign on a road. It's kind of a little remote road. but take a right there. Follow that road all the way down. You'll get to Haffesuit Falls. It's beautiful. And so that's what we did. And the first couple miles turning right on that road were fine. It was a sunny day. It was beautiful. And then the paved road became a gravel road. And then the gravel road, probably 20 miles, 30 miles into it, became a dirt road. And the dirt road became sand till we came over a hill, I remember this, and then we hit the brakes because right in front of us was a bull. (laughs) And I was like, we are lost. We are in the middle of the desert. And I looked at the tank of gas, which was full when we turned right, and now it was several ticks below a half a tank. And I'm so old, there were no cell phones at the time. So we were in the middle of the desert. And a dead end makes dependence upon someone to help you all the more real, right? Dead ends are starting points for the spirit of the living God. Where is the spirit of the living God out of love for you leading you down a dead end? Showing you that that road of sin, it doesn't satisfy Showing you that that empty crusade you're on doesn't quench your soul. Showing you that seven steps to success or filling up your retirement account leads you just to step in a cow pie. Maybe it's a job you thought would deliver you. Maybe it's a relationship you thought would complete you. Maybe it's a video game you thought in 400 hours you could master. Repent. Change course. Turn. We didn't stay there staring at that bull. We turned the car around. Don't dig in your heels because you're embarrassed. Your pride won't let you fail. It's the Spirit's love to show you this dead end because there's water, there's hope, there's help if you head the other way. The Spirit leads us on a tour of our dead ends because as the Spirit gives us a tour of our dead ends, the Spirit humbles us then to start to ask for direction. Philip's on this desert road, and as he's walking, I mean, the guy has got to be asking for direction. I'm on the road you took me on, but there's got to be something else we're doing here. He's got to be asking for direction. And as he's walking mile after mile from Jerusalem to Gaza with very little to look at, he's asking for directions by listening for God's lead, and he hears it. Verse 29 and 30 says, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join that chariot. And Philip, instead of questioning what he hears and parsing it through all his seminary coursework on how do you truly hear the Spirit speak, he doesn't do that. He just starts to run. He just starts to sprint toward the eunuch's entourage. And notice the humility that Philip demonstrates in going where the Spirit is leading him. He's a follower of Jesus with a call to go and make disciples, That's what Jesus said to all of these people go and make disciples. And that's you as well. So, any prompt that the Spirit gives him to go and start a conversation with someone for the purpose of leading them to Christ, that will always be the Spirit's lead. We must quit in our pride making evangelism and discipleship so much harder than it is. Just get up and run, just get up and talk. As Philip hears the words of Isaiah, he hears them coming from the carriage. He knows those lyrics. I know that song. Philip starts a conversation with this eunuch. He starts with the five points of Calvinism, right? Or he starts with dispensationalism, right? No! He begins with a question in verse 30. Do you get what you're reading? Do you you need direction? Do you need help? That's what he asks. Always a great test of whether the Spirit is leading someone. Do you need directions? And if they say yes, that's a great sign that the Spirit's at work. If we say, no, I, 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 got, I got this, we have a pride problem. And Philip is not going gangbusters into this man's life with telling him, hey, let me tell you how much your theology is off, buddy. No, no. He's asking him a question. Do you understand this? Making disciples is more about asking for direction and allowing the Spirit to speak through a person's response than just inserting ourselves and our right answers into someone's life. The eunuch's response is evidence of the Spirit's lead as he states the whole proposition of this little sermon I'm preaching in a single question. He says in verse 31, How can I understand unless someone guides me? How are you at asking for directions? When you enter into a time with the Lord in His Word, do you read to just confirm what you already know to be true? Or do you open the Scriptures with a curiosity, a desire to be led, taught, guided, help me, I don't understand, I want to understand. How do you approach the scripture? Do you ask for direction? George Mueller, who's a famous evangelist in Germany, knows the importance of asking for direction. Mueller was known for his work in leading many people to a knowledge and a faith in Jesus, and he also started many orphanages for the least of these. And he highlights six principles he used throughout his life in how he asked for direction. And see how many of them have to do with an openness to be led in the practice of prayer and humility. Number one, he says, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. (laughs) Not my will, but yours be done. That's how he starts. And he says, nine-tenths of the trouble with people is right here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are meekly ready to do the Lord's will, whatever that might be, not our own. That's step one. Second, having done this, I don't leave the result to emotions or feelings or a simple impression. If I do so, I'm going to be in trouble. Okay? Number three, I see the will of God through the word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to delusions. If the Holy Spirit guides us at all, He will always guide us according to Scripture, never in contrast to it. So we need to know the Word to compare it with what the Spirit's prompting us to do. And then, fourthly, next, I take into account the circumstances. These often plainly indicate God's will in connection with His Word and His Spirit. The circum- What's going on around me? Pay attention to what's going on around me. And fifth, I ask for directions. I ask in prayer that God would reveal His will to me. And then finally, sixth, through prayer, study of God's Word, reflection, I come to a deliberate conclusion according to the best of my ability. And if my mind's at peace, and continues after, th- he says, three or more petitions. <laughs> He's careful. I proceed accordingly. I know this might feel a little bit different to what you see with Philip just running. But Philip's a guy who's been, ha- had a lot of practice doing this. Notice how much of the Spirit's lead involves a willingness to want what God wants. An acknowledgement of not knowing exactly what that is. And in asking through prayer and through scripture, in light of the circumstances, how God wants us to move. It's pretty simple. It's not that hard. But the first step that's probably the hardest is saying, Not my will. Yours be done. Finally, as we've been given a tour of our dead ends and the Spirit has worked in us a humility to ask for directions, finally, the Spirit leads us always to the same destination a living Jesus. Philip and the eunuch, they open Isaiah 53 together and they read, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent he opens not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the central question the spirit leads the eunuch to ask is this, who are we talking about here? Philip responds in verse 35 by opening his spirit-led mouth to point to the lamb who kept his mouth closed. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world on the cross is Jesus. The lamb of God who was treated not as his sins deserved, but as all of our sins deserved. You and me, eunuch, it's Jesus. Jesus. The Lamb of God whose blood washes away every dead-ended sinner completely clean. That's you and me, eunuch. The Lamb of God whose grave, all of our destinations, all of our sinners' destinations was found empty so that his resurrection from the dead by the power of the Spirit could breathe all of us back into a Spirit-led eternal life. That's Jesus. The conversation, it, it must have lasted for a while. Because he transitions into this baptism talk. So you assume this conversation has has been several miles. And I hope and I think they got from Isaiah 53 to Isaiah 56 in their conversation. So that this once dead-ended eunuch who believed he had no future, no family ahead of him, could hear these words. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord... To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who keep my Jesus, who choose the things that please me, hold fast to my Jesus. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. To the eunuchs who rest in Jesus who choose Jesus as the person who please me, hold fast to him. And guess what, eunuch? Your family tree is forever, and your dry tree now has water at its roots and fruit on its vines. And there in a desert place, This hopeless eunuch, this futureless eunuch sees the miracle of water and his eyes are opened by the Spirit to see Jesus and his offer of cleansing and resurrection and family that the man knows only to stop his chariots and say, let's get wet. Let's get wet. There's water. Nothing is keeping me back from worshiping as a flawed man. Jesus is my destination, my Sabbath, my rest. I'm diving in. Nothing's stopping me, keeping me from being a father of faith to spiritual children. Jesus is my destination. Let's get wet. And they come out of the water. And Philip is led by the Spirit one way as the eunuch is led another Probably because he's so excited, he doesn't even see Philip leave. Rejoicing that he, his dead end has a new beginning. Philip continues his spirit-led mission through all of Judea, and this restored eunuch, this fruit-filled, spirit-filled tree, probably becomes one of the founders of the most influential church in Africa in the first few centuries after Christ. Christ. I want to ask just a quick application question or maybe give you an application challenge. I want you to think about the rule of 3 for a second. Those who have placed their hope, their faith, their trust in Christ, think of these this rule of 3. The first 3 is this. I want you to identify 3 people. 3 people. I want you to identify three people from three places, whether it be home, family, work, vocation, or neighborhood. Three people from three different places. And I want to challenge you to consider with those three people from those three different places, three paths. First path, prayer. Prayer for for those people who are on a dead end. Pray for them. That's one path you might choose. The second path is invite them to your home, to church, to your table group. Invite them to be part of your life and the water that you found. So one of those, yeah, one of those places. Invite them. Pray for them. Invite them. Or lastly, the third option, teach them. Start asking him a question. Do you understand what this is all about? Do you want to? You be the one, like Philip, to take them on a journey toward water. Three people, three places, three paths you could take them. There's your challenge. We'll close with this. This week, I didn't have this written, so you'll have to bear with me. This week, I had um, a particular day that was hard. Um, early in this week. I guess it might have been early last week, actually. Um, and it was a particularly hard day. And I was resting. Um, actually, my wife and I were both taking our nap, and I was I had my arm around her, and I was laying there. And I was struggling in particular this day with really uh, uh, maybe a true understanding or a, uh, a true visceral understanding of God's love. And I was wrestling with that. And this this picture came to my mind, unprompted. I wasn't looking for it. But here's what it was. I was laying there, and I got a picture of my oldest boy, Cadence, laying in an ICU bed. The machines all connected to him. And as he's laying there, he's, he's lifeless. There's nothing to him. He's, he's gone. And I could see it in his face. Like, I could see there's nothing there. There's no life there. Like, the machines are keeping him alive. But he's not alive. I could see it. His face was just flat and nothing. And I heard these words come from the side, my ear, words that said, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. And to be given as a father a picture of your son in that state So sad that Bliss woke up to my weeping, like to my kind of shaking. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. Just had a little bit of picture of something and it was really sad. But one of the things that's so beautiful about that picture was that I saw in that dead end, in my son laying there dead, I experienced myself just a taste, just a sliver of the father's love for dead children. That when they said, there's nothing we can do, he said, watch this. Watch this. Watch him come back to life. And the spirit of the living God led Jesus to earth, led Jesus to die. And as he laid there in the tomb, breathed new life into this son so that my boy so that our families, so that we too could live. That vision gave me a picture of the dead-end road of living just for this life. It led me to a place where I'm like, Lord, I have to ask you to help. I can't bring him back to life. And it gave me a picture of a father's love that says, there's nothing we can do? Watch this. Some of you may believe the Spirit can't use you like He used Philip. But I want to close with a quote from William Temple that said this, who struggled with the same thing. It's no use giving me a play like King Lear or Hamlet and telling me to write plays like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. It's no use giving me the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the Spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like that. Friends, the Spirit has led you back to life. Let Him do the same with you, to the dry trees and to the desert people all around you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you for your Spirit's breathing life into each one of our lives to understand the gospel. Father, I thank you for Jesus and his work in seeing us laying dead where there's nothing we could do and saying to the Father, I will go. I will go and do what no man, mere man, can do. And we pray, Father, that you would lead us to places, to desert places, to show us that we can't live apart from your Spirit, truly. We can't live. Help us to be humbled, to ask for directions, and to say, help me understand what I'm reading. Put people in our lives to give us that understanding. And Father, may all of these pursuits and all of this leading of your Spirit lead us to Jesus, a firstborn son who is alive again. Do your work in us, we pray. In Jesus' resurrected and victorious name, we all pray. Amen.